Welcome to Music History Monday for June 13th, 2022. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is The Ultimate Fanboy, The Mad King, Ludwig II. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the death, the most suspicious death, on June 13, 1886, 136 years ago today, of the ultimate Richard Wagner fanboy, King Ludwig II of Bavaria. The Running Man Richard Wagner was among the least athletic-looking people to ever grace a composing studio or a conductor's podium. Depending upon the source, he was between 5 foot 3 inches and 5 foot 5 inches in height. His legs were too short for his torso, and his oversized square head was perched on an otherwise frail body. In his lifetime, an unknown wag referred to him as, quote, that shovel-faced dwarf, unquote, an unkind, if not entirely inaccurate, description of the man. But despite his physical shortcomings, Wagner, believe it or not, could run like the wind for remarkable distances. These miracles of sustained athleticism were inspired by Wagner's creditors and or the law, from which Wagner was forced to flee on a regular basis. For example, in April of 1836, following the failure of his opera Das Liebesverbot, The Ban on Love, for your information, my spell check has tried to change Liebesverbot to lobster pot. Again, in April of 1836, following the failure of his opera Das Liebesverbot, in the central German city of Magdeburg, a warrant was issued for Wagner's arrest due to his debts. The 23-year-old Wagner ran away so fast that he left his shadow in the dust, and he didn't stop running until he arrived in Königsberg, today Kaliningrad, Russia, a distance as the crow flies of 654 kilometers, or 406 miles. That's an impressive dash. Three years later, on July 9, 1839, with his passport having been confiscated to keep him from running off, the 26-year-old Wagner nevertheless bolted from the Latvian capital of Riga, just minutes ahead of a posse of creditors who had tracked him down. He didn't stop running until he arrived in London, by his own account, without a penny to his name, three and a half weeks later. 1849 saw Wagner living and working in the Saxon capital of Dresden. Having gotten mixed up with a revolutionary group, a warrant was issued for his arrest by the Dresden police on May 16, 1849. He was charged with treason, which carried the death penalty. The now 36-year-old Wagner ran and didn't stop running until he'd crossed the border from Germany to Switzerland. 
for our information. Among the many things Wagner left behind in Germany was yet another mountain of debt, an estimated $20,000 in debt. This for a guy whose salary at Dresden was $1,500 a year. It's the equivalent of someone today making $155,000 a year, running up $2 million worth of credit card debt. Astonishing. In sum, you can keep your Usain Bolt. Richard Wagner could run. Bouncing around and hoping for the best. In 1862, the political ban placed on Wagner after he fled Dresden was lifted. <laughs> Well, big whoop. While he had been composing and writing essays and bloviating about German nationhood and race, the now 49-year-old Wagner was hardly better off in 1862 than the 36-year-old Wagner had been when he ran out of Dresden in 1849. In 1862, Wagner was once again on the run from creditors. His life at the time had an admittedly schizophrenic quality to it. One day, he'd be hobnobbing with the nobility, and the next, he'd be sneaking out of an inn before dawn, a few steps ahead of the police. Like so many of Wagner's friends and associates, the Viennese violinist and conductor Heinrich Esser, 1818 to 1872, could not understand what appeared to be Wagner's suicidal relationship with money. Esser wrote, quote, Wagner is just like a child when he has money in his pocket, and it does not seem to enter his head that it will not last forever. And then he claims that he cannot work at all unless his rooms are luxurious and unless he has exclusive use of a large garden. In a word, unless he can live like a lord." Unquote. Wagner's financial fantasies reached a new level in 1863 when he wrote a preface for a new edition of the Ring Cycle Poetry, poetry he had completed 10 years before in 1853. In his preface, Wagner outlined the ideal conditions for producing what he called the stage festival of the Ring of the Nibelung. He dismissed producing the Ring in a standard opera theater, which he rejected as being inadequate to the requirements of the Ring. Instead, he proposed a custom-built theater to be erected in one of Germany's smaller cities, where the cream of Europe's musical and theatrical community, the best singers, instrumentalists, designers, and technicians, would collaborate in producing the ring. Wagner wrote, quote, I have in mind four performances in all. The Rheingold, given as a prelude on one evening, and then the three main parts, the Valkyrie, Siegfried, and Twilight of the Gods, on the three succeeding evenings. The invitations to attend would be offered to the German public as a whole, unquote. Given Wagner's real-life financial issues at the time, his preface has to it a slight ring of madness. The spring of 1864 saw Wagner again on the run from Vienna to Mariafeld on Lake Zurich and finally to Stuttgart, 
where he took a room in the Hotel Marquart. While there, he found time to write a bitter, self-pitying little epitaph. Quote, Here lies Wagner, a man of no fame. He made no impression. Herr, what was his name? Not even the dogs were curious to see this creature who failed to take his degree." Unquote. It was there in Stuttgart that Wagner hit rock bottom. He had burned all his bridges, used everybody up, and he knew it. The Rheingold, the Valkyrie, and Tristan und Isolde were all complete, but remained unperformed. Siegfried existed as a torso, and the master singers of Nuremberg as a libretto, Wagner could not contemplate finishing either piece. In a despondent letter to the composer Peter Cornelius, Wagner wrote, quote, Only a miracle can save me now. My situation is extremely perilous. It is most delicately balanced. A single jolt, and all is over, and nothing more can ever come out of me. Nothing, nothing. A light must show itself. A man must arise who will give me energetic assistance now." Unquote. And then, and then the angelic chorus sang, the miracle. We set the stage. May 2nd, 1864, early evening. Wagner was visiting Karl Eckert, the Kapellmeister of Stuttgart. A knock on the door. A servant answered and was presented with a visiting card on which was written, Franz von Fistermeister, secretary to the King of Bavaria. The servant was instructed to give the card to Wagner, which he did. Wagner assuming that the stranger was a debt collector or a bounty hunter, told the servant to inform Herr von Fistermeister that he was not there. When Wagner got back to his hotel, he found out that this von Fistermeister from Munich had been making inquiries about him. With great trepidation, Wagner arranged to meet him the next morning, May 3rd, at 10 a.m. At the appointed time, von Fistermeister was shown to Wagner's room. It was there that he told Wagner how he had tracked him from Vienna to Mariafeld and finally to Stuttgart. He was in the employ of the King of Bavaria, Ludwig II, from whom he brought Wagner a ring, a portrait, and a message. The message expressed the king's admiration for Wagner's work and expressed the king's wish to put at Wagner's disposal whatever resources he needed to fulfill his personal needs and artistic plans. If all of this sounded okay to Wagner, he was to accompany von Fistermeister to see the king the very next day. This Wagner did, taking the train to Munich, where on May 5th, he met his new padrone. Wagner was given 4,000 guilders to cover his present debts, and within a few days he was settled into a villa not far from the king's own palace on Lake Starnberger. The word miracle hardly does all of this justice. No one, 
Not even Wagner at his most feverish could ever have invented such a story. Just like that, a few days shy of his 51st birthday, Wagner was a made man. When he dictated his autobiography some years later, this is precisely where his memoir ends with these words, quote, the dangerous road along which fate beckoned me was not destined to be clear of troubles, but I was never again to feel the weight of the everyday hardships of existence under the protection of my exalted friend." Unquote. King Ludwig II of Bavaria. Ludwig was born in the sprawling Nymphenburg Castle in Munich on August 25th, 1845. As a child, he was enthralled by the very stories and legends Wagner set to music, that of Tannhäuser, Lohengrin, and the Knights of the Grail. Ludwig was particularly captivated with the legend of the Swan Knights, of which Lohengrin was one. And as a child, he sealed his letters with the image of a cross and a swan. Ludwig's infatuation with the music and prose writings of Richard Wagner began when he was 12 years old and grew in intensity as he got older. Ludwig was particularly taken by a passage in the preface to Wagner's 1863 edition of his poem, The Ring of the Nibelung, a preface we discussed just moments ago. The particular passage that so enthralled King Ludwig was the one in which Wagner wrote that only through the beneficence of a German prince could his plans for a festival theater become a reality. We quote Wagner's passage. By this act, this prince would found an institution which would assuredly earn him an immeasurable influence on German artistic taste, on the development of the German artistic genius, on the formation of a true national spirit, and which would bestow eternal renown on his name. Is such a prince to be found? Unquote. Just months after he read those words, Ludwig became king of Bavaria at the age of 18 when his father, King Maximilian II, died on March 10, 1864. Is such a prince to be found? Wagner asked. Yes, indeed. And that prince, that king, was Ludwig II of Bavaria. Among Ludwig's first acts as king was to dispatch Franz von Fistermeister to find Richard Wagner, which he did in Stuttgart on May 2nd, 1864. To say that Ludwig was an eccentric is a tremendous kindness. Tall, slim, shy, and lonely, Ludwig became increasingly disenchanted with politics, particularly after Bavaria was defeated in 1866 during the Austro-Prussian War and then absorbed into Otto von Bismarck's German Empire in 1871. Ludwig longed for the good old days of absolutism, meaning that kings like himself ruled by divine right, and he came to idealize Louis XIV, the great sun king of France. In the spirit of Louis Versailles, he undertook, 
at mind-blowing expense, the construction of three castles, including the famous Romanesque fantasy Neue Schwanstein, translated as the New Swan Stone Castle. The Neue Schwanstein, incidentally, was the inspiration for Disneyland's Sleeping Beauty Castle, which opened in 1955. Mostly, though, King Ludwig II of Bavaria loved the music, poetry, and prose of Richard Wagner. Now, this was hunky-dory by Wagner, whose tastes and material needs were as extravagant as Ludwig's own. Ludwig paid off Wagner's debts, funded the construction of Wagner's festival playhouse at Bayreuth, sponsored the premieres of Tristan und Isolde and the master singers of Nuremberg, and commissioned the completion of the ring cycle for the king's ransom sum of 30,000 florins, 30,000 gold pieces. Unfortunately, Ludwig's over-the-top extravagance, his homosexuality, and his subsequent unwillingness slash inability to produce an heir, and his crazy relationship with Richard Wagner were of deep and ever-growing concern to his Bavarian government, a government of which he was presumably the head. Regarding the relationship with Wagner, on December 1st, 1865, the Bavarian minister-president, Baron von Fortan, wrote the king and told him like it was, quote, Your Majesty stands at a fateful parting of the ways and has to choose between the love and respect of his faithful citizens and the so-called friendship of Richard Wagner. This man is despised by every section of the community. He is despised not only for his attitudes, but for his ingratitude and treachery towards his friends and benefactors, his wanton extravagance and self-indulgent squandering, and the shamelessness with which he exploits the undeserved favor of your majesty." Unquote. In early 1886, the now 40-year-old Ludwig, at wit's end, with what he considered the endless and collective bad attitude and interference of his ministers, threatened to fire and replace his entire cabinet. For the Bavarian ministers of government, at wit's end with their king, that was the last straw. A conspiracy was formed to constitutionally depose Ludwig by claiming that he was unfit to rule due to insanity. A commission consisting of four psychiatrists was formed, led by Dr. Bernard von Guden, 1824 to 1886. In June 1886, the commission declared that Ludwig suffered from paranoia and concluded that, quote, suffering from such a disorder, freedom of action can no longer be allowed and your majesty is declared incapable of ruling, which incapacity will not be only for a year's duration, but for the length of your majesty's life." Unquote. Ludwig's uncle, Luitpold Karl Josef Wilhelm Ludwig, Prince Regent of Bavaria, agreed to take over as king once Ludwig was deposed. On June 10, 1886, King Ludwig II of Bavaria was declared insane and officially 
deposed. He didn't give up without a fight. Locking himself in the Neue Schwanstein and protected by his loyal palace guard, Ludwig issued a statement, quote, The Prince Luitpold intends, against my will, to ascend to the regency of my land, and my erstwhile ministry has, through false allegations regarding the state of my health, deceived my beloved people and is preparing to commit acts of high treason. I call upon every loyal Bavarian to rally around my loyal supporters to thwart the planned treason against the king and the fatherland." Unquote. The Neue Schwanstein was promptly sealed off. Ludwig attempted to escape on June 12th, but was captured and trundled off to Berg Castle on the shore of Lake Starnberg, south of Munich. On the evening of the next day, June 13, 1886, 132 years ago today, Ludwig and the psychiatrist Dr. Bernard von Guden were found dead, floating in Lake Starnberg. Despite the facts that Ludwig was a strong swimmer, that the water was only waist deep, and that his autopsy revealed no water in his lungs, his death was ruled a suicide by drowning. As for Dr. Gooden, whose body revealed blows to the head and signs of strangulation, no cause of death was determined one way or the other. It's pretty clear that Ludwig and Dr. Gooden were whacked, but the responsible parties covered their tracks well. Murder theories abound, but actual perpetrators do not. The bottom line for us, Ludwig II of Bavaria, mad king, or simply an eccentric living in a dream world, gave Richard Wagner the means and opportunity to finish his life's work, to compose the master singers of Nuremberg and Parsifal, to finish the ring, and to build his temple to himself, the festival theater at Bayreuth. Thanks to King Ludwig II, Wagner was able to take off his running shorts, hang up his running shoes, and focus on what he did best, make art. And for this, we must be grateful. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.